I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Hotly contested elections, razor thin margins, extreme candidates. If you think we're talking about the headlines of the elections here in the United States, Time to think again. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, the United States isn't the only place uh, dealing with elections and the fallout from that. Uh, Brazil has uh, also had an election. And uh, we're really pleased to have joining us on the program Valentina Sader, who is an associate director at the Atlantic Council's Adrian Arsh Latin America Center, where she leads the center's work on Brazil, gender equity, uh, and diversity and manages the center's advisory council. Uh, Valentina, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, we came out of a, a very, very close uh, election there in uh, Brazil. And for many, it sort of felt like uh, the extreme to the left and the extreme to the right. And the uh, the vote was very close in the end. Yes, it was extremely close. We had an election that was, you know, it might sound cliche to say that elections are polarizing, but in this sense, I think we have one of the polarizing elections that we have ever seen in Brazil um, with the difference between Lula, the winning candidate against Bolsonaro, uh, the current president, was of about two million votes. So very, very close. And as you uh, look at that, obviously, uh, Lula, who had served uh, previously, had also had corruption charges, spent some time in prison, back out. Uh, that's a uh, he was calling it a, a resurrection story. Yeah, absolutely. He was calling it a, a resurrection story. And in a way, um, this polarization also played a role into that in terms of each candidate in, in their own way, saying that they were opposing the other one. So it was really, in a way, an election and a vote against one another. So in one way, you have President Bolsonaro saying that he wasn't corrupt or that he didn't have any charges of corruption in during his government. Um, and then on the other hand, you had President Lula saying that he was, during his terms in office, he was able to have Brazil be thriving economically and whatnot. So in that sense, you had a, an election cycle that was very polarizing in that sense and very much a narrative of one versus the other, um, which is very interesting to see how that played out also in terms of the results, having Brazil really very much divided one way and another. Yeah, we know that uh, even today uh, we know that Bolsonaro has not officially conceded uh, or or moved on, and we know there have been some demonstrations from some of the Bolsonaro 
uh, supporters. So any insight there in terms of what you're seeing or sensing in terms of this transition? Right. We are expecting Bolsonaro to perhaps make an announcement and put a statement out today. Um, but we have been seeing some demonstrations across Brazil, particularly in the north, in the in, in interior of Sao Paulo state, um, as well as the south of Brazil, especially truck drivers demonstrating against Lula, against the election of Lula, and really stopping highways, pausing highways, um, even the ones that get to very important um, places like the International Airport in Sao Paulo, for example, and that has been affecting now the distribution of products, you know, so it's been affecting supermarkets, for example. Of course, the agribusiness sector has been suffering with that as well. Um, and this has been happening since the since elections were in, and the results were announced. Yeah. So before we get into uh, what this transition could look like, what it means uh, not only for Brazil, but for the rest of the world, uh, you had also noted uh, that one of the winners out of the election was was actually the electronic voting system. Give us some insight into that. Yeah, so I think that this is important to note that Brazil has um, an election, the voting system is electronic. So in a way, you get to have the results very hours really after the the closing of the voting sites. And this is a win. This was a win for uh, the Brazilian voting system and for Brazilian democracy in a way, because it's such a, such a close um, with such close results, like I mentioned, about 2 million votes were the difference between the Lula and Bolsonaro. Imagine the amount of recounts that was going to have to have happened if we had paper ballots, for example. Um, so within hours of post-closing, we were able to have confidence in the results that came out. And in that sense, I believe this is a big win for the Brazilian electoral voting system. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, uh, so so important that confidence uh, and certainty in the process is is such a critical piece of the puzzle. So as you look forward uh, with your expertise and from your unique perspective there, uh, what is it that you sense will will take place? What will the Lula led government uh, really be trying to do in the the early days of transition? In my opinion, I think one of the things, if this election can tell us anything, is that the main point here and the main challenge for Lula is going to be to unite the country. And this was going to happen regardless of who got elected on Sunday. Um, but in this case, Lula will really have to govern, try to govern for all. And I think in his um, victory speech actually alluded to that. 
um, this will be a very big challenge for him as he has the Congress that is highly divided as well, but also tending towards the right. Um, the Senate is very much um, more conservative and more conservative than than the House, for example. So he will have a challenge governing in that sense. Um, so uniting the country, I believe, would be top priority. And then also going to his priorities in terms of the economy. So really making sure that those are some of the main points that he will have to tackle within the first, first few months in office. As you look at that more broadly, um, obviously uh, Europe and the United States are, are key allies there, especially when it comes to the economic issues. Uh, how do you see this uh, impacting the relationship between uh, Brazil and the United States? So in a way, uh, the United States and Brazil have had very pragmatic relations and very diplomatic relations being, you know, the largest, two of the largest economies in the hemisphere. Um, so continuing to have those pragmatic relations, I think, will be the way forward with a little administration. There's possibility here for a little bit more of a more natural alignment on climate issues, particularly with the Biden administration. So this can be a way forward as well, another area in which Brazil and the United States can cooperate on a deeper level. And then when you also look into um, Europe, right? So, for example, Norway already announced uh, bringing back its financing of some programs to protect the Amazon rainforest. And I think that we'll see also um, that climate front being an avenue for cooperation with Europe as well as with the United States. In that sense, um, we open opportunities there to perhaps have even deeper relations on trading investment um, issues as well. And, and ultimately, how does that impact uh, the relationship with China? I know that was one that was was strained um, uh, under the uh, the Bolsonaro administration. Uh, do we see any shifts there? What does that look like? In a way, it will continue to be pragmatic. Uh, China is Brazil's main trading partner, so I don't expect many changes in that front. I think that Lula will continue to have this approach of being you know, strategic thinking and and being understanding of the mutually beneficial um, relations with China, but being pragmatic in that sense. So, you know, having that relationship because it's important for Brazil's economy and Brazil's trading, um, you know, balance of trade and all of that. So in that sense, I think he will continue to have this very much pragmatic approach to China. And anything under the radar, anything that uh, we're not really talking about that you're keeping your eye on as it relates to Brazil? I think that I'm keeping my eye on everything, to be honest, but I am very much looking forward to see what Bolsonaro will end up saying in the next few days. Um, obviously, looking ahead, thinking about the transition government, um, who who is going to be the minister of foreign affairs, who is going to be the minister of economy, um, really understanding the role that each one of these players that may have been very much involved in the campaign season, um, taking taking office, right, being being placed within the government, within the administration. Um, I'm keeping a close eye on Simone Tebet in particular. She was the, the third candidate with the most votes in the first round of elections and has played a very important role in getting Lula elected. So we'll see what Rosu will have in this in Lula's administration. And then obviously when we it's too early to say, but when you look into twenty twenty six when we will have presidential elections again, 
um, how is she going to be uh, positioning that? So that's kind of what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> Wonderful. That is a great insight on an important uh, trade partner, an important uh, part in terms of uh, the economy and energy production in particular. And uh, I, I won't make you uh, make a World Cup prediction, uh, but that's also uh, <laughs> that's on my radar. I don't know if it's on yours, but it's definitely on mine. It's an early Christmas present. <laughs> I do not want to jinx it, but I put my bet on Brazil. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Very good. My wife shares your uh, your support and optimism there. <laughs> Valentina Sader is the Associate Director of, at the Atlantic Council's Latin America Center, and appreciate your perspective and weighing in. Uh, we'll continue to watch this as this transition of power happens there in Brazil. Again, important trading partner, uh, real high impact for the United States and for the rest of the world. Valentina, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's so easy to get so locked into our own elections that sometimes we miss some of those broader things that do have a direct impact on us right here at home. Brazil's an important trade partner and a key ally on a host of other things. We also know there are elections going on in Israel today and other parts of the world, and they all come together. And interesting, the extremes seem to be pushing further to the extremes around the world. Uh, when will the middle realize that they don't have to be the secret majority or the silent majority, they can just be the majority. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.